You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday, and uh, I don't know, man, had a great weekend. I went shed hunting with some buddies. I shed hunted with my family. My wife found her very first shed ever. And uh, I know she was pumped, which made me pumped. And uh, now what's really cool is she's asking to go again, which is even cooler for me. So I think actually this upcoming weekend, next weekend, we're going to be going out and doing shed hunting again. So... We haven't found a lot when we've gone out, and uh, I've been out uh, a handful of times already. So, check some trail cameras this weekend, and uh, my exodus, my exoduses, I guess that's how you'd say it, were showing that not all of the deer that I've, you know, that we have on the property have dropped. Actually, most of them are still holding, and uh, that was confirmed when was it yesterday afternoon uh, I'm recording this on Sunday so it was been Saturday uh, I went out and I jumped two deer one was a giant eight pointer um, maybe 140 class if not maybe low 150s like a really big giant eight pointer and he was holding both sides yet so I am uh, hesitant to get back out there and walk I want to give him just a little bit more time to fall uh, maybe monitor my trail cameras a little bit closer than uh, than what I have been, and uh, hopefully get out next weekend and uh, pick pick them up. But it seems sounds to me like a couple of the neighbors on some of the other farms have found a lot of um, a lot of antlers themselves. But because of this has been such a mild winter in my area, the antlers are spread out all over the place. Um, you know, granted, if you had a uh, big managed property, you're going to find good chunks of, uh, you know, good antlers. But for me, I don't have any of that. And uh, that means the deer are spread out. Um, they're not congregated like if there was really big, deep snow. So with that said, uh, I'm looking forward to going out this upcoming weekend and uh looking for some more bone but today we have a kick-ass podcast we are going to be talking with 
Todd Graff. He is the founder of bowhunting.com and he is the host of Bowhunt or Die web web show. So there's a good chance that a majority of you guys already know who he is. And uh, that's who the conversation uh, with is today. One thing that I find amazing is that Todd and when he first first started back in the mid 90s was around with digital bow hunting content, right? Before Google was even around. Uh, so you can put him in the same category uh, if you want to think about it as the guys who have been around this industry a long time, like the Primos and the, uh, you know, the Drury's. He, he's been in the hunting industry just as long as they have. So it's kind of cool being able to talk with, I guess, what you would call a founder of the, the web show era in the, in, in the hunting industry, and I think that's pretty interesting. So I'm also a huge nerd. But uh, like you said, like I said, this is going to be a really good podcast. You guys will enjoy it. Uh, and before we get to today's web show, let's hear what the owner of Ripcord Arrow Rest has to say about ripcords and accuracy. Ripcord can improve your accuracy tremendously. Um, like I said earlier, the less arrow contact you have on the launcher, the tighter your groups are going to be. Um, you know, our rest on the code red is going to ride anywhere between inch and a half to two inches. On the ace, it's going to ride anywhere between two and two and a half inches, and then that launcher is completely gone. Um, by doing that, you can get away with some hand torque, punching of the trigger and stuff like that, and the accuracy of a fallaway is so much more than, than a contact rest by far. All right, I want all of you guys to go and visit ripcordarrowrest.com. Take a look at all the products that they have to offer, the uh, standard, the micro, uh, the code red, all their awesome uh, drop-away rest. Go check them out, and uh, I think you would be pleased if you bought one and put it on your bow. There's that. Now, my daughter wanted to help me with the intro to this podcast, so I'm going to let her take it away. Welcome to my daddy's podcast. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. All right. On the phone with me right now is Todd Graff. How are we doing today, Todd? I'm doing great, Dan. I, ha- I have a feeling that um, if that a majority of the listeners of this podcast also follow a lot of other online hunting related content. So they, they, they know who you are, but for those people who don't know who you are, why don't you introduce yourself, let them know who you are and what do you do for a living? Oh boy. I thought you were going to give me this big grand opening here, Dan. Now you put it back on me. This is great. No drum rolls on this podcast, man. <laughs> Jeez, Elise, throw me right in, throw me right into the deep water with this shark. No, listen, Dan, I, I, I appreciate that opportunity. Um, you know, for those of you who, you know, may not know me, um, you know, I've, I've been in the hunting industry for, for, for many years now, probably over 23 years when I launched our first website ever, which I want to say was whitetaildeer.com, which eventually turned into huntingnet.com. But um, today, you know, we've grown this um, 
little digital, you know, empire, if you will, into bowhunting.com, you know, the largest bowhunting website out there with uh, our Bowhunter Die web show, which has been a, a ton of ton of fun now, now in its, you know, seventh, uh, at the seventh series. Seven, so, so you've been doing the the online show or the web show for seven years now. Seven years, Mark. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we are in season eight starting this year. I mean, literally there's, I don't know, you know, the, the actual mathematical calculation, but I mean, there is thousands of minutes of hunting content available through our website, YouTube, Roku, iTunes, for guys to build a, who are passionate like we are chasing whitetails to be able to watch our entire team chase them. So it's, uh, it's been a ton of fun. No question about it. Yeah. I definitely, definitely want to get into all that, um, here in a little bit, but before we get into it, let's talk about this past season. How did your uh, 2016 season go? Oof. <laughs> I tell you what, th- this last season for me was definitely one, probably one of the most challenging. I mean, it's not for the lack of good deer that are still running around in the areas that I'm hunting. I mean, honestly, Wisconsin, I saw some really quality deer. And, and even in, in Illinois, I had some fantastic trail cam shots uh, of good deer. But, man, just connecting the dots for me this year, primarily due to, I think, weather and uh, poor stand choice on that day. <laughs> it wasn't for the lack of daytime movement because I was getting – plenty of images of them moving around during daytime just man just being in the wrong spot at the wrong time seemed like my deal this year and if you kind of watch my you know my hunt unfold i did i was finally successful at getting a pretty good you know buck for sure uh on film i've self-filmed you know the last seven years all of my hunts you know so you can see every single deer that i have killed on film and i I love that self-filming um you know, it, it's one thing to see him. It's another thing to get him in close. And of course, it's the other thing then of not letting the arrow fly until you 100% have him on film. And it's just, it's taken my bow hunting to an entirely, you know, different level. But man, it was a challenging season for sure. So, did you walk away with uh, with any kills this year? I did. I did. I ended up getting a you know a good buck. Um, you know, of course, captured on film the whole deal. Um, but it, like I said, I mean. I did have a really, really big one that I wanted to shoot, but unfortunately it just didn't play out the way I wanted to. It was a really super wide buck that came in. Um, and, you know, I did my part and he did his part, but unfortunately, you know, I just wasn't going to let an arrow fly. I mean, it was, he was right. quartering to me the whole way. And I, I just, man, you know what? I, I'm not going to say I'm the, you know, best bow hunter in the world. I don't know that there is even such a thing, but, uh, I, I just, you know, I have lost a few white tails in my life and that's a very sickening feeling. And I just, yeah. I, I just, I do not want to let an arrow fly if it's not perfect. And this, this right. awesome deer came in and I just couldn't connect and, right. uh, I let him go. Yeah. I've had, uh, conversations with a lot of guys that had that same exact type of scenario happen, uh, this year where they had the encounter, but the, the shot was just they like one step here one step there quarter turn here and an arrow would have been launched but you know like you said it just didn't happen now no did did you make any trips out west this year i did i did actually uh uh i i did i went to 
I went on two elk hunts. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I haven't elk hunted in a few years. So last year I, I, I did go on two hunts. Um, <laughs> one was pretty unique. We actually, one was pretty unique. One was your, you know, your classic a Colorado hunt, um, you, you know, calling for them, searching them out, you know, the whole works. The other hunt was a little different. It was on a, a private piece of property, a smaller piece of property. And we actually, this is going to sound a little crazy, but I actually slept in a redneck blind for multiple nights because the, the, because the property was actually smaller. You know, a lot of times these elk would come in in the evenings to the wallows and stuff. And, you know, getting out at night, right, or getting out when shooting lights over, all you would do is blow them out of there. And then the likelihood right. of them coming back was about zero. A lot of times they'd come into those spots and they would stay all night and then you'd have a chance for them in the morning. So two, two dudes sleeping in a redneck blind. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I have to admit, it was definitely, definitely unique. I did see the absolute biggest uh, bull of my life and he was close, but literally we needed four more minutes. Uh, you know, uh, until the camera was going to have enough light. I mean, literally, I could have probably at one point reached out the redneck window and grabbed, you know, <laughs> grabbed the grabbed a hold of them. But it, unfortunately, uh, it just didn't pan out. But it, it was a unique experience. I will say that. Right, right. So, uh, I, for some reason, I I've always had that feeling. Or uh, that thought, okay, you know, I, I don't want to bust them going in. I don't want to bust them going out. So maybe I would sleep in my stand one night. Or maybe I would, uh, uh, you know, spend the night in, in a blind. Would you ever do that again? I would. I totally would. Uh, <laughs> I would. I would. Um, you know, I, I mean, let's face it. I mean, some, I, I don't know about a tree stand with a safety Yeah, <laughs> That might be a little... <laughs> That might be a little extreme, but I, I mean, but who hasn't thought of that at some point right. in their life, right? I mean, you, you know, gosh, so many deer are busted going in and going out. I mean, you know, and, and again, it, you know, every hunting spot is different. I mean, you have those spots that over the years um, you begin to learn and you begin to figure out. And I mean, there are certain spots that you know that they are not there at a certain time and you can get in and as the sun comes up, here they come, they're coming back in, yep. and vice versa for evening hunts and so forth. But then you've got those spots where you have to travel through ground. And, uh, you know, let's face it, I mean, you know, we all like to think, you know, oh, man, we're not spooking anything. But let, let's be honest. I mean, anytime you go in and out of a decent-sized timber or a hunting property your scent is blowing a certain direction i know we do everything in our power to contain as much of it but you're gonna bump animals and it doesn't take many times we've all have hunted a piece of property for maybe a couple days in a row and you definitely can tell the sightings are going down yeah. each day yeah yep so so although it wasn't your best season it was still a good season for you it sounds yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not going to play. Listen, you know, we, anytime you can be out in the woods and with your bow and doing the stuff that we love to do, I mean, you know what, that's the greatest thing in the world. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm very grateful that I can do 
what I love to do. I mean, obviously every season I think starts the same for all of us bow hunters, right? I mean, you enter the season with these massive hopes, <laughs> you know, you know uh, and, and you have this, you know, grand scheme plan of, okay, I hope I'm going to get an early season one in Illinois. Then I'm going to jump to Wisconsin and then, you know, right, you get this right. little mental picture in your brain and sometimes it just doesn't come to fruition. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you got to learn to adapt fast. I, I mean, right. that's the reality of it. I mean, you know, you never know when you're going to get onto some data that you weren't planning to get on, whether it's trail camera photos, whether it's dumb luck bumping into something or bumping a buck out of an area where you didn't think he was and putting a sneak attack on him. I mean, you know, you just you never know how this season's going to go. Right. And I think that's what makes bow hunting you know, just, just so enjoyable. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that you never know how your season's going to be. I mean, we talk about it constantly, the highs right. and lows of bow hunting and every season is just, I think that's why it never gets boring. It's just right. always different. Yep. Yep. That's, uh, that's what I love about it is, you know, I don't like routines, so to speak. Uh, and that's why I, I love bow hunting. Exactly what you said. It's, it's different every year. Agreed. So definitely. Now we uh, we talked a little bit before we started recording about where. You, hey, you said you... that stuff was off the record. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right, right. But uh, but how you actually got started and kind of the growth and transition from where you started to where you are today. Why don't and it's a really cool story. Why don't you go ahead and, and share that with us? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it, you know, I started off, you know, and literally, and I want to say 1995 doing computer consulting. Um, and I mean, the internet was brand new. I mean, it was right. literally, I mean, guys, this is pre, yeah, everyone sit down now. I mean, this is pre-Google. <laughs> I'm not trying to age myself here or date myself here, but I mean, seriously, I mean, we're talking web crawler, Alta Vista. I mean, there was no Google. I mean, everyone just thinks yeah. like Google is like, has been there forever, but this is pre-Google when, right. you know, I started purchasing some of my first domain names. Um, I mean, literally, I remember going to the SHOT Show and the ATA show and, and starting to talk to people about having a website. And I literally, you would have thought that I, you know, was an alien from another, <laughs> from an outer <laughs> planet. I mean, because they looked at me like I was, what are you talking about? Um, right. And, and, you know, luckily for me, I, I believed in it. I believed in the web. I believed in, you know, where the technology was going to go. I mean, I was crazy enough to take all three of my credit cards and, literally buy over 2,500 or 3,000 hunting domain names. I mean, I still own 99% of them today. I mean, I don't know. You type in deerticks.com to (laughs) to foodplots.com. I mean, you know, I, I literally, you know, bought as many as I could buy. And I mean, one funny true story is bowhunting.com itself. I mean, a lot of guys were like, how in the heck did you get that name? And and, the, and it's an awesome story. I mean, another lady beat me to buying the domain name, and she lived in Canada. She was bow hunting for bows for her hair, and uh, 
again, what my idea was was completely different. And luckily for me, uh, I made a, her an offer, and she was willing to sell us uh, the name, you know, way back, you know, many, many, many years ago. But, um, you know, it was definitely has been a, a really fun, great, you know, journey, you know, being a part of this. And I think earlier, you know, in our talk, you know, we've just kind of talked about, you know, being a bow hunter and having to evolve and having to change. And, you know, that's what this whole internet world, whether you're a manufacturer, whether you're a hunter, whether you're a user, I mean, the technology continues to change. I mean, even the podcast that we're having today, I mean, what a great use of technology for people to be able to get more content you know, of the type of content that they love. Um, So, you know, we basically, you know, for the last 23 years have, has always been in the website space. Um, We've always created websites that, you know, people that enjoy the same passion that me and you have would have access to. And we've just always leveraged the technology as it continues to change, you know, like having the web show now. I mean, you know, so many more people today you can't walk through an airport. You can't walk through a parking lot. You can't pretty much go anywhere. I'm not going to talk about looking at people in the bathrooms, but everyone's bringing <laughs> their, you know, I said it for many, many, many years. The moment you could start bringing a computer to the bathrooms, things were going to change. And let's face it, the smartphone was exactly that. And yeah. now look where we are today. I mean, with a phone, you can do just about anything, you know, whether it's, listen to a podcast, watch our web show, find out the next coolest bow hunting product that you want to buy and research it. I mean, bam, it's available right, right there at your fingertips. It's awesome. Right. Uh, you know, definitely been glad to be a part of all of these changes. It's, it's really a lot of fun. So when you set out initially and started buying all these do- domain names, were all these domain names hunting related? Yes. You know, I, yes. I, I look back and I wish maybe I would have <laughs> been a little less focused <laughs> and bought right. some other names that could have been worth, you know, you know, you know, different money for different industries. But, you know, back then, you know, I kind of had one goal, one goal only, and that was to buy as many names that were related to hunting as possible. So whether it's elkhunting.com, turkeyhunting.com, I don't know, deerminerals.com, I mean, you know, I bought them, I bought them all as, or as many as I could. And, right. uh, you know, and, and of course, I look back on it, and you know, it's easy to, and, and and things have changed. I mean, back then they were a lot more expensive to maintain on a yearly basis, but, um, you know, I, I look at a, a high quality domain name, you know, as being no differently than a piece of real estate. You know, you've got good right. ones and you've got bad ones, and right. you know, it doesn't take much for people to remember a bowhunting.com, you know, type of address for sure. For sure. So, you were, you set out to buy all these hunting related domain names back then when you first started did did you envision taking hunting to that digital level and did you know that hey this is going to be a big part of my life in 15 20 years whatever that's you know that's a great question sam i mean you know, obviously you want to look back, you want to say, Oh yeah, absolutely. I knew I, I forecasted this, <laughs> you know, you know, I had the vision, but you know, I think what really, really set it off for me was when we launched whitetaildeer.com. I remember launching the site, having it up there, having deer hunting content up there. We had guys putting together content 
and I, and I remember kind of the not doing anything with it for a few months and going and, you know, enjoying my fall and hunting. And I remember then coming back sometime in December and checking my email for that domain name. And literally I had like 7,000 emails from other whitetail enthusiasts around the world. And I, and I think it was that, you know, moment, you know, entrepreneurially where I, you know, said to myself, holy cow, man, if I can't use this to really create this, this internet space where guys can get together. And I mean, man, what, you know, the internet of course has changed so much, but back then, um, that took bow hunters to the whole new experience. I mean, obviously back right. then, no, not every single Bubba and every single hunter was on the internet, right? That was the biggest right. complaint that everybody had. Well, not, not everyone has an internet connection. And, but there were plenty of us out there that lived in, you know, communities that had internet access and were clearly on there because the 7,000 emails was justifying that. And, you know, suddenly you know, with forums and chat rooms back then. I mean, that was like the, that was like the next level of, you know, going to the archery shop, right? I mean, before right. you wanted content, you read a magazine or you went to the local archery shop. And then this was like the first opportunity for people to get on and meet people from other states and communicate, talk hunting strategies, you know, create relationships. And I mean, you know, it was awesome. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, you know it, it was, it was just great because it was just an extension of doing the stuff that we love to do, especially during the off season and during the season. But, you know, it became more of a year round deal. And I think that was the real start for me, which really led into, you know, me launching huntingnet.com. I, I ran that for 10 or 12 years and then we did sell that one and waited for a, you know, a period of time before we started bowhunting.com. But, right. uh, um, that's kind of the reader's digest story, if you will. Right. So this pot in, in this particular podcast, we also talk a lot about gear, right? And, you know, now that we are in this digital age, we're starting to see a lot more emphasis on uh, product advertising go the digital route and you mentioned you were talking to some of these companies way back in the day about getting a website you know something as simple you know that we take for granted as a website from a from kind of an insider's perspective how has how have you seen marketing change for products over the these 23 years that you've been in the game so to speak um well, I mean, it's changed a ton, right? I, I mean, right. it's, you know, there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad, with, you know, with all things, you know, always, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we all have a finite amount of time that we can spend doing anything, whether it's hunting, whether it's consuming knowledge or information. I mean, the reality is there's a finite amount of time. And today, I mean, man, the internet when I use the word internet, I mean, I'm talking, I guess, about all aspects of the internet, you know, that required right. you to get, you know, I mean, I'm talking social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, forums, mass email, banner. I mean, there's millions of ways, you know, that, okay, millions is a stretch, but there's, there's many ways that manufacturers today, 
you know, can get their message out there. And when you go back, when you rewind things, you know, back 20 years or even 10 years ago, you know, what were the options? The options really was, you know, magazines for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, a little bit of TV 20 years ago, there wasn't as many shows back then. Right. That changed over, you know, a 20 year period. And then maybe you had, you know, some radio shows that were out there, but not many of them. And today there is just a slew of additional opportunities for manufacturers to participate, quote unquote, in this, you know, in this digital, in this digital world. And I mean, the reality is, I'm sorry, young or old, everyone Again, everyone, I I guess I say that lightly, but most people, when I look around, have smartphones and the technology has been so dummy proofed that, you know, it's not complicated to go on YouTube and watch videos. It's not complicated to search Google for the latest, you know, bow that's out there that you want to learn about. You know, uh, I mean, that ability is so easy now. Um, And let's face it, before anybody makes any purchase nowadays they're going online they're reading right. a review they're watching a video they're they're hitting their buddies up really quickly you know whether it be via facebook or whatever saying hey i'm thinking about buying this what are your thoughts you know there's just there's so many ways for people to consume information and it really puts uh you know some power to the people to be able to buy you know better gear and good stuff because people right. aren't afraid to you know say, Hey, this is what really I love. And this is what works well for me. And it's easy to get that information. It's not necessarily going to one place and just getting one person's, uh, opinion. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I, I think it's awesome. Obviously I'm biased to it, <laughs> you know, yeah, you, know for sure. you know, for, for sure. But the reality is, you know, it is complicated, though. I mean, when you think about all the different platforms that are available, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to plan for. And I think, you know, the companies are finally, I've really noticed the difference in the last couple of years for sure, where they're starting to say, okay, we clearly see the writing on the wall now. It's time for us to adjust our marketing plans to you know, this just isn't a fad. Okay. The internet's not going away. Like people used to say, um, I mean, clearly we're way into this today and now it's a matter of how do you leverage it the most? And you know what? Trust me, if anyone had the Pepsi Cola or Coca-Cola magic formula, right? Uh, people would be making more of that product. The, The reality is there is no bulletproof you know, you do X, Y, and Z, and it's going to equal this amount of sales or this amount for any manufacturer that's getting into this world. But the reality is to not be there at all is, is definitely death to your business because this is, this is where people are getting their information. Podcasts, websites, social media, email, banners. Uh, I mean, that's what, that's what you see. That's what it makes you aware of what's out there. It piques your interest and gets you to to dive in deeper and learn more, for sure. Right, right. Now, this is kind of a a, a crazy question that I I talk with uh, my friends about a lot. With this new transition of content now heavily 
in the digital age, you know, do you see the era of the quote unquote hunting celebrity coming to an end? Oh, sure. Sure. Give me that question to answer. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, listen, you know what? I, I don't know that I ever, you know, I think anyone that does a lot of something can be considered a celebrity, right? Right. Um, You know, I mean, there are definitely people in the industry that I look up to that I think Mm -hmm. do an awesome job for sure. I mean, you you know, I mean, I I think back of me being that guy who first started watching, you know, TV, you know, you know, many, many, many years ago. I mean, I definitely, you know, think of, you know, Ralph and Vicky. I definitely think Jim Shockey. You know, I think of the juries for sure. And, you know, look up to what those guys have accomplished both within the hunting industry and just personally, you know, I mean, I look up to how they hunt, how they do it. And most importantly for me, I think what's important for me, and it's maybe slightly off topic, um, but how they portray themselves. I I mean, I'm not going to go off on a tangent here. I'm not going to talk about people specifically. I don't think that's appropriate. But, you know, I do see things that I, I cringe when I see it because, you know, I do feel like we have a responsibility. And as big as we want to make the hunting industry as a whole, we are very small. And, and, and I just, you know, I believe we have a responsibility to act appropriately, to do appropriate things, and, and to conduct ourselves a certain way. I, that's my opinion. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm against this guy or against that guy. I'm just saying that, that that's a responsibility. And right. the internet, to get back to more of your question, Dan, specifically, yeah. um, you know, yes, the internet has 100% created other opportunities, even for yourself. I mean, look at yeah. the awesome job you've done with your podcast. I mean, you know, um, there's no question about it. There are people that, you know, think that you're a celebrity for sure. And then think that <laughs> I'm a celebrity, um, you know, for, for doing what we've done because right. we're quote unquote in the industry. Um, right. y- you know, but y- you know, yeah. To answer your question. Yes. I think, you know, whether it be YouTube, whether it be websites, whatever, you know, I do think it has created some opportunities for sure. I think there'll always be people within the industry that have the ability to do this, you know, for a living to do it more than the next guy. And they get tagged with quote unquote, the, the, the celebrity status, but you know, there's no question about it. The more and more people you talk to, things are changing. I mean, people are not tuning into the TV as much because at the end of the day, like I said earlier, you only have so much time to consume and you know, people now that can, you know, shoot, you can watch our show, sitting in a tree stand somewhere, you know, if you're waiting for your wife, you know, while she's in the store shopping, you, you can pull up your podcast, you can pull up our web show and you can go back seven years worth and watch, you know, or listen to, you know, guys talking and shooting whitetails. I mean, how awesome right. is that? I mean, right. you know, the, the game has changed for sure. For sure. Now I kind of want to do a hard left turn here. 
and you brought something you, 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 you really You really want me to send you my autograph? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I probably I'll already have it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> we'll send you a T-shirt, Dan. All right. Thanks. Thank, thank you. I appreciate that. I'll, I'll rep it proudly. But you mentioned something that I find really, really frustrating, and you seem to do it very well, and that is self-filming right? You said you've been self-filming for several years now. I've watched a lot of your footage on bow, you know, bowhunting.com and in the bow hunter die uh, web show and you make it look easy. Uh, So I want to, I want to use you as kind of a a reference on maybe talk a little bit about how you set up your self-filming setup. Um, Maybe some of the things that you've learned to do and not do while self-filming, because I get questions every day about, Hey Dan, can you recommend uh, a self-filming setup, whether that's a camera arm or a camera itself? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I love it, guys. I mean, I, I can tell you, you know, I, I don't know how I would feel if tomorrow I, I couldn't film my hunts. I mean, I don't get me wrong. You know, when I was elk hunting, I did have somebody film me. There are certain species, obviously, that you go hunt that you can't self-film by yourself, you know. But when it, when it comes to whitetails and, you know, and doing tree stand setups, I mean, the first thing that most people overlook is you're so focused on trying to read the terrain, figure out the terrain to pick the optimal tree, right? To ambush that whitetail. And once I feel like I've got that part figured out for me, the formula then turns into, okay, I think this is where it can happen, but what tree is going to give me the best chance at being able to get the job done filming. That's the first part that a lot of people forget about. I mean, you have to be thinking about where the camera's going to be, where you're hoping that 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 degree of window the the deer is going to end up so you can pull it off because it's not a, I mean, you want it to be a 360 degree opportunity and you know, with the camera arm, you, you know, you know, I use the, the the fourth, you know, arrow camera arm um and I mean, yes, you know, they have extensions and you can swing around a lot, but we all know when you start, you know, when that moment of truth happens and, and here he comes and you're trying to get the job done, you know, you got to have your movement be as little, you got to have that movement be as little as possible. And you sometimes getting all the way around the tree is impossible. So knowing where you believe it's going to take place is, is critical. You know, that is something I mean, the angle of my tree stand, where I'm going to put that camera arm is all premeditated while I'm hanging that set, period. You have to have that down. That's not saying you're not going to get in a funky position that's going to force you to make the camera arm go, you know, you're going to have to stretch out a little bit and get the camera to go behind your back and then be able to get that left, hard left behind your shot. You know what I'm saying? That's not saying that still can't happen, but I really do put, a lot of initial time into figuring out where I want it to happen. And of course, although this, this stinks, this stinks, but sometimes you do have to go out of your way, you know, to cut down and make the lanes a little bit bigger. I mean, just trying to get it, you know, trying to do the, eh, you know, and hoping that they're right. going to stop in this little window is, 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 is tough, you know? So I generally 
and making my lanes a little bit bigger. So starting to hang my stand earlier in the season to be able to make those lanes a little bit bigger is critical. Um, you know, as far as gear goes, I mean, the gear has come a long way. I'm using today an XA, last, the last couple of years I've been using a Canon XA20. This year I'm upgrading to an XA30. I love the 20X optical zoom. Um, you know, I, I mentioned the, the camera arm already. Um, and, you know, I do use an additional camera on the front of my bow to be able to get another, you know, angle with the Tacticam. Um, and then, of course, you, you know, I, you know, the Tacticam is going to give you more of a, uh, a zoomed in, you know, shot versus, you know, a GoPro where it's going to be super wide angle, you know, so somebody who just right. wants to have fun and wants to grab a Tacticam, you know, very simply put it on their bow and be able to get that close up kill shot. You know, what, a, what, a, what a, what a great little product, but combining, you know, your big main camera, your, um, I run another camera, you know, above my head. Um, a lot of times I use two, zoom controllers you know on my one arm so that way i've got the above my head kind of umbrella shot to represent as, as if i had another guy in the tree stand with me and then of course i'm working the other uh camera with my right arm um and uh and then the tactic cam and then of course you know I, I will also use you know gopros mounted around the tree to give me a uh you know, more of that bigger wide angle feeling so people can really get the feeling of what's going on around me. Because the only bad thing about self-filming is if you're not, if you don't have those other shots, then sometimes you're not able to see the whole picture of what's really going on around you. Right. You know, and that's, and that's my main equipment. Um, you know, and I, you know, and of course it's a lot of work. I mean, I mean, carrying all that equipment out with you, setting it up in the dark, uh, making sure all your batteries are charged. I mean, you know, honestly, I can do a blindfold. I mean, I can go to a tree, right. man, clip onto my lifeline, get up in that tree, and literally I can close my eyes and I can set my stuff up, you know, in the dark as quietly as possible. And I, I, I just think it's, you know, it's tons of practice and tons of preparation. And, and you know, and for me, I just love doing it. I, I personally wouldn't want it any other way. Right. So, I mean – you have to be committed to that, right? And you just said that you can go through and you can, you know, set up blindfolded, but you probably didn't, I mean, it's a, it's definitely a learning curve of some sort. What are some things from a self-filming standpoint that you've had to learn over the years that you've done it? Well, I mean, probably the, the, the biggest one is, you know, before you get before you even do anything is, you know, you got to recognize you got to be willing to let animals walk, you know, and that's not easy to do. Right. You know, I mean, you can't go into it. If you're going to sell film and you're going to be successful, you got to make the commitment right off the bat that, you know what, animals are going to come in and you're not going to get a chance to kill them because of the fact that I'm not going to let an arrow go if I don't have enough film, period. Right. Uh, I mean, that is a decision that's in my brain. That's not even an option. That's not even a discussion. I don't care if it's 200 inches. If I don't have it on film, that's the pledge that I've made to, you know, our fan base with Bowhunter Die. I mean, that's the, the, the pledge I've made to the rest of our teammates. And a lot of people, a lot of people just can't, can't do that. And, you know, for me, it's all about the chase. I mean, at the end of the day, 
it doesn't have to end up in a kill. If I'm able to film that animal and maybe not get the shot, you know, to me, getting within 20, 25 yards, you know, of a killer animal and being able to film it, that is success. Right. Um, you know, you don't have to shoot every single one that you see. I mean, having those type of, of encounters, and let's be honest, how many of those type of encounters with true mature bucks happen each year? There's not right. many. I mean, right. you go into the season knowing right off the bat that, hey, I may have one to three opportunities, and then you throw the camera mix into it, you know, you know, it, it's just, you know, it's, it, it, you know, it's not, it, it's just, you have to have that mental commitment right off the bat right. that some animals are not going to, I'm not going to be able to shoot and I get them and I'm going to let them walk. And has sure it cost you before? Question there. Has it cost you before? It, it, oh, there's no doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. 100% it has. I mean, and it can be frustrating, you know, there's no doubt. I'm not going to sit here and tell people that, you know, it hasn't cost me. It 100% has cost me. But again, you, you know, it's, there's something about knowing that, you know, he's going to live another day and you got another chase in you. And, uh, I mean, isn't that really what it's all about? I mean, the chase, yep. I mean, you know, you, as much as you love to get them and you love to have the pictures and you like posting them for all your friends to see, I mean, have, those encounters are just as cool, you know, right. in my opinion. I mean, that's what you remember. Right. Sometimes you remember the ones that got away more than the ones that you that you got. <laughs> right, right. So, um, my question, another kind of question that just popped into my head is, you know, you're you're putting this web show together, and you've dedicated to getting a shot on film. Why, why no cameraman in the tree with you? Ah, <laughs> shoot, you had to go there. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Listen, I, I'm not going to say I've never had a cameraman go with me. I have had cameramen go with me. But, I, yeah. you know, I kind of have always been a lone wolf, uh, you, you know. And, you, you know, I, you know, just my whole life of bow hunting, um, you know, I, I just kind of have been that lone wolf kind of guy. I mean, I just – there's something about grabbing that bow and doing it on your own. Not that I'm not yeah. – don't want to share it with somebody else, um, you know, but there's just something about – bow hunting and being out there and being by yourself and doing it yourself. Um, you know, that, that, that I really, you know, get excited about, um, you know, period. So right. for me right. personally, I mean, there's just, there's just something about that, you, you know, you know, I have thought about bringing people to film me to be able to tell a little bit better of a story. I mean, I'm not going to say that I haven't been criticized before by people to where sometimes the story can uh, suffer, you know, a little bit because you don't have somebody capturing every single moment, you know, that you're out there. But I do work really hard to try to get and capture everything. I mean, literally when I'm walking, when I leave to go to a set, I literally have my big camera, my Tacticam. I've got two or three GoPros with me. Uh, I've got another camera that I keep literally, uh, 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 you know, in my pocket at all times. So if I am walking and I see something going in, you know, I know what I have to do to get a, a nice, good, clear, steady shot. Um, you know, I mean, seriously, I probably have, and then I got my still camera with me. I mean, literally, I mean, it's almost like six to seven <laughs> <laughs> filming deals with batteries, making sure they're charged, making sure you got your SD cards. Um, 
that I'm bringing with to try to make sure that I capture the best story that I can capture. And, you know, and I know, and I know plenty of guys who love having their camera partner, right. you know, you know, with them, but I don't know. I just have always done it by myself and, and, and I, I just love doing it. There's something, I tell you what, man, it's one thing to shoot a big deer. It's another thing to shoot one and get the whole thing self-filmed. And I, and honestly, I, when I shot my biggest buck of my life, you know, I think there's over a million views of that buck on YouTube um, where it comes around that cornfield. Oh yeah. You know, that 190 inch buck that I killed. I mean, that, that deer there, I, I think that's what really just kicked it off for me is, you know, to be able to pull all that off and be able to share the moment and do it by yourself. I mean, you think shooting in one with the bow is an awesome highlight shooting one and self filming at the same time, man. It's, it's just a whole nother level of right. excitement. Right. Well, you're a better man than me because I've I've put down the self filming game, and uh, uh, because I I let a deer a deer came up on me pretty fast, and I tried to get my camera ready and get you know tried to record him. He walked through the first shooting lane, and when he got to the second shooting lane, he kind of turned there. I rushed the shot and uh, I hit him, but never found him. Luckily, he's he survived right and uh, was actually shot this year by a, another hunter but um but that's kind of why i i put it down i don't have that you know i i don't think i ever really had that commitment uh like like you mentioned that one needs to have when doing it but um yeah transitioning yet again i want to talk to I, you a little bit and i and i have heard that story dan not to interrupt you i apologize for that yeah. but you know i i <laughs> justin and i have 100% heard that story over and over and over <laughs> again. You know, a lot of times people want to get on our scene and and they want to be a part of it. And it all sounds, you know, good and fun. And, and then the frustration and the, you know, really sets in. I mean, and you just, yep. you have to have that mindset to realize that it's yep. not about always killing one. You know, it's about yep. filming the success and the, and the, um, opportunity and just it, it's about that whole picture and right. you know that's just you have to have that in your brain from day one and you got to be right. willing to let them go you got to let them you got to let them go right that's a fact all right so transitioning yet again um i want to talk to you about how you approach every season um and we can start right about now with the 2016 season over what is your main focus from a, a whitetail perspective, you know, starting as soon as the season gets over, what are you doing? Crying that I'm losing a couple hunting spots this year. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. Justin told me that, uh, what you lost some leases. Yes. You know, I definitely have lost a couple of spots. Um, you know, and I mean, man, I mean, anyone that bow hunts a lot knows the effort that goes into learning how to hunt a piece of property. I mean, you know, uh, you know, again, I, you know, I don't know that there's truly a whitetail expert out there. I mean, everyone has different skills. Everyone has different ways of doing things. Um, you know, I have definitely been very, very, very fortunate to kill a lot of deer in my life. Um, and, you know, when you lose a spot, you know, it's not so much that you lost the spot. It's just you lost all that knowledge 
you know, of, you know, how do you sneak in? How do you sneak out? What winds are the best? You know, right. how do you hunt it depending upon whether it was bean, beans, corn, brassicas that you planted, different food plots, what your neighbors are doing and how your neighbors hunt. I mean, there's a million little things that go into, uh, you know, learning a spot, you know, so it's, and of course, you know, you know, you know, obviously, you know, I have lost spots before and then you move on and you get the joys of learning how to do it all over again on, on a, on a different spot. But, you know, when you have these hunting leases, I mean, it does seem like, you know, it gets harder and harder to keep leases for multiple years, um, you know, compared to the past. Um, but to get focused on, you, you know, your question, um, anyone that hunts whitetail serious knows it just never stops. I mean, you are constantly, constantly, um, out there trying to figure out what's going on, whether it's shed hunting, whether it's planting habitat on a property that you do own, whether it's, um, you, you know, putting down the time and walking around and learning the spots, um, this year we have had a lack of snow in Illinois, which just stinks. And I think a lot of places have, you know, you can learn so much in the winter by, you know, following some of the most heavily used trails. I mean, obviously it does change, you know, everyone knows that the whitetail woods are constantly changing, you know, from food sources to when the leaves start falling off and they start losing, the deer start losing good places to hide as well. But you know, a true whitetail guy never stops thinking about how they're going to pull it off from season to season. I mean, it is a constant thought process. Um, you know, and I think that's the thing that you just have to, you know, you're constantly reviewing your properties that you do have to hunt. You're constantly making sure that the stands are in the right spot. And I'll tell you another thing too, you know, you know, that I kind of just, have come on to hate to give the secret up um but i kind of have gotten into shooting coyotes lately (laughs) (laughs) with a gun yes that's with a gun not a bow (laughs) i did say that on record um and you know i started off mounting lights i know we're way off topic here i'll make this fast mounting lights on top of the you know mounting lights on top of guns and then you know you kind of you know you know in illinois here you can shoot them you know at night it's, you know, it's totally legal, um, blah, blah, blah. And I, boy, I started realizing, man, that's, that's hard. I mean, you turn that light on when you think you got coyotes coming into a call into a certain area and they're still on the ground, you kind of see the silhouette coming in and bam, you turn those lights on. Well, man, it doesn't take long for them things to start scattering around pretty dang quick. And I started playing around with some thermal imaging equipment and seeing the power of what thermal technology can do. And I got to tell you, I am impressed. Um, (laughs) I mean, I am totally impressed. And I have been in the few coyote spots that I'm hunting. I've been starting, obviously, you know, you're paying attention to what's going on because you're looking for the coyotes, but I've been paying attention to what the deer do. And being able to kind of see what they do at night and where they go and how they move and how much time they spend in an area has really kind of intrigued me, um, to kind of pay attention, um, 
using this different technology, I think there's a lot that can be learned from it um, to be able to help you, especially on morning hunts, because morning hunts are tricky. You know, your afternoon yeah. hunts are definitely a little bit easier where at least you've got the visibility. I mean, obviously having the complete darkness is nice because sometimes the whitetails don't even know what you are when you're sneaking through, when you got the wind in your favor and so forth. But, you know, being able to know a little bit more about how they're really moving through an area and where they're really going and how many there are can really change the game up a little bit. So that's kind of a new thing that I just kind of stumbled on this year that I've been kind of adding to my arsenal of whitetail psychoticness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I get it, man. Uh, I, uh, at the ATA show, I got one of those, I think they're called a seek thermal. Yeah. That's what my hat says. It's, you can put it to your cell phone and yep, yep. I imagine myself this upcoming season using it to walk into the timber and seeing if I need to change my, my access routes or not. No doubt. No doubt about it. I mean, it is, there's a lot of technology out there. Um, I settled for kind of a military grade, you know, uh, thermal site. Um, yeah. You know, and hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this podcast to hear how much this thing costs, which I'm not even going to say how much it costs, but it was, it was, you know, it was a hefty price tag. But, man, I I am so impressed with the ability to really get a handle on, you know, knowing what's moving around, when, where, how, and why. Man, it's a little bit of a game changer. No question about it. Uh, Right. And, you know, you know, and I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, um, listen, I love technology. I love trail cameras. I'm not going to necessarily change every single thing that I do, but I just have always loved whitetails. I love hunting them. I love chasing them. I just think they're the most fascinating animal to bow hunt. And I just like any knowledge that I can get, you know, period. I, I mean, I just, I just, the, the more information and data that you can get, the better off you are. Right. Right. All right. So do you, when you go into every season, um, do you have a hit list put together or do you have more of a, a buck has to be this age group or have to have this rack, uh, kind of strategy going into every year? I mean, uh, yeah, a little bit. I I mean, I'm not going to say that I, you know, have always killed the biggest, you know, bucks in the woods for sure. I mean, I like getting my deer just like the next guy likes to get their deer. Um, I've passed up plenty of smaller deer over the years because, you know, I mean, just the older I get, you know, I do want to shoot, you know, the, the little bit bigger ones. Um, and, you know, obviously the size of the deer, you know, you know, you know, you know, you talk to a million different people and you got some people who would say, oh, my gosh, I would never pass up a quarter of the deer that you pass up. And right. And everything's right. everything's relative. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I go to one spot and I hunt and, and we do have a minimum criteria set for that particular piece of property because the likelihood of a deer making it from year to year because of the size of the property and what we have set up you know, allows us the luxury to be able to do that. Then I have other properties where that deer doesn't have a chance, (laughs) you know, if it steps over the line or goes to a different piece of property. I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. But, you know, each individual person has to make that decision on their own. You know, for me, for me, yes, I do go into the season with a little bit of a hit list. Um, 
I am I, I suck at <laughs> naming deer. Yeah. I am the I'm I don't know how all these guys come up with all these great names. I am like horrible. <laughs> I'm horrible at it. I mean, if anyone gives me any recommendations, I end up just taking it and running with it. Um, <laughs> because I, 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 I'm like the worst to come up. I've come up with some really dumb names. Um, and uh, um, yeah, but it is fun to name them. I know there's people out there that think that's the most ludicrous thing in the world, but it is fun. I mean, it is fun to, you know, say, hey, there's Dan and I'm chasing Dan and look what Dan <laughs> looked like, you know, two years ago and look what he looks like today. I mean, you know, that, that's definitely cool. I mean, for, you know, who doesn't enjoy having trail camera pictures of a deer or, or encounters on video off video, you know, year after year. I mean, it's just awesome. Um, but I, I do try to hold myself to a, you know, a three and a half year old deer. I mean, you know, for sure. I, I definitely, uh, I know there'll be people listening to this going, you know, Graf definitely shoots plenty of three and a half year old deer. Um, it's not that I'm not trying to get the four and a half, five and a half, and six and a half. They're just they're just tougher to get, and there's less of them to go around for sure. Um, and then of course, you know, the self filming thing throws in another angle. And you know, I do like filling at least one of my tags each season. Um, but there has been seasons that I, you know, have not shot a deer in Wisconsin. I, you know, I have this piece of property. I love hunting in Wisconsin. You know, I started hunting there as a kid when my father got me into hunting and. You know, it, it literally is a swamp. I mean, it is a it is a cattail swamp with minimal trees. I mean, literally, I've killed deer out of trees that my dad and I planted, you know, 30 years ago. And, uh, man, there's something about going and hunting that swamp that every year, even though I know the moment I pull up and the moment I step foot on it that I have bigger caliper deer in other areas, you know, that I could be hunting but man, there's just something about stepping foot on that piece of property and hunting. I'm in a completely different terrain than what Illinois has to offer to me. Um, and, and, you know, and again, it, it has to do with the different property you're hunting on in terms of, you know, what you have to hunt. I mean, you know, you meet guys that say, I don't have any trail camera pictures of deer that big. I would never pass on that. And Hey, you know what, if I was that guy, I mean, obviously you can't hold a bar greater than what's, what's there or you're going to really never get one, right? You know, right. so you either got to move, change spots, you know, look for different areas. Right, right. Now, you mentioned something. You were you you were hunting out of trees that you and your dad planted a long time ago. Um, do you prefer hunting in certain areas over others for simply a, a, a nostalgic reason? Um, well, I, I mean, listen, when it comes to Wisconsin, I really only have one or two or spots, you know, that I really do go to when it comes to Wisconsin. And that definitely is very, uh, you know, very memory driven for sure. I mean, there's just yeah. something about being a kid, you know, hunting those spots and, and just, I don't know, hunting them year after year. I mean, it, it is, it, it is cool. I mean, that is definitely, there's been times when I've thought about, man, eh, maybe I should move on do something different, sell the property, do so, you know, you know, and it's hard because there is, you know, I grew up hunting there literally, you know, when I was, you know, 12 years old, maybe even a little younger in terms of being able to run around on the place. And, you know, that, that, that is pretty special to me. Um, but as far as having one specific spot 
to hunt or to go to no, I enjoy moving around to like the next guy. You know, there's no question about it. It is fun to always, you know, get on to new pieces and see what the pieces have to offer. You know, when you start getting your trail camera data in and stuff like that, it's, you know, that's, that's definitely part of the Christmas surprise, right? You never know right, what you're going to get. That's right. Now you got a son and from the looks of it, he is, he's got the bug kind of like his daddy. So do you, what, what's it like taking him out and being able to, you know, show him the ropes now? Cause he's at an age where he can, he can really start learning and he can really start enjoying it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, Craig, you know, has, um, he's always enjoyed going in the woods with me, walking around, you know, being a part of it, he truly was a little bit of a, 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 a late bloomer, if you will, in terms of just flat out diving into hunting. Actually, I mean, he, you know, he does have some bows, he does shoot, um, you know, but you know, he, you know, he did shoot his first deer actually this last year when he was 12 years old, uh, in the state nice. of Wisconsin with that apprentice program. What a great program that they've put together to make the, you know, to make the entry into hunting simpler. I mean, what a, what a, you know, you know, it's tough. I mean, it is tough to try to convince kids to go through the hunter education program, do all these steps before they can hunt. So there's been a lot of legislative changes that have definitely been put into place to help parents get their kids into hunting. And I think that apprentice program is really a good one. So we, we used that last year and he did shoot his first year, you know, with the rifle in Wisconsin and, and I did leave all my camera gear at home. You know, I just 100% wanted to focus on him and just enjoy the moment with him. And, and, and it, there's no doubt. I mean, as a parent, you know, being able to introduce your son or daughter to the sport and have them get those smiles and have those excitements and put down the dang video games and all that, you know, you know, you know, stuff and, uh, get in the outdoors there's not too many people that would argue with me you know the importance of doing that um and you know i think he's got the bug now to start doing other things we've got uh, some other hunts lined up you know i'm you know this year he obviously wants to do that again and hopefully this year we're going to go and uh we'll do an antelope hunt as well so that's going to be kind of cool but yeah i mean it's awesome there's no doubt about it i mean it was one heck of a great feeling you know, to, to watch him pass up animals and, you know, and be able to make his own decisions. You know, I didn't, I, one thing I think I really try to encourage people. I mean, I, mean, I do own another business, you, you know, for pheasant hunting and, you know, and I do see people kind of, you know, bring kids out to the, the club and stuff like that. And you can always tell the ones that really want to be there and the ones that are kind of being dragged to be there. Right. right. And, right. you know, sometimes as a parent, you just got to stop and question yourself, you know, man, am I pushing this too hard? Right. You know, because, you know, you really want them to kind of come into it on their own, you know, and, and I, I, Hey, I remember, I mean, it's a true story. I literally remember my dad taking me duck and goose hunting. <laughs> and I remember, you know, the ducks and geese coming into the spreads and I remember kind of jumping up and scaring them away. <laughs> because I didn't want them to get shot, you know, and, and, and I was a little bit of a late bloomer for sure. I remember my dad saying, you know, sit your butt down. What are you doing? You know? And, uh, you know, and I was a little bit of a late bloomer. So, I mean, I, you know, I, you know, for me, I've never really been forceful at pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. You know, it's gotta be something that they want to do. 
And, you know, if, if there's anything that I could really recommend to people, man, just, you know, be cognizant of that, you know, and not push it because you can really do the exact opposite, right? And, and, and push them away. You know, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, getting up at three, four o'clock in the morning, doing all the stuff we do, you know, it's not right. for everybody. And it, you know, and it doesn't take long to burn, to burn a little one out for sure. That's right. uh, That's right. Especially whitetail hunters who are hardcore because they're, they're die hard and they go and they go and they go and they go. And anyone that's listening to this knows exactly who they are. <laughs> you know, you know that's right. so, um, well, um, Todd, man, we've been talking for about an hour now. Uh, first off, I want to say thank you very much for taking time to, to come on the podcast and, and, uh, you know, chat with us today. Yeah, Dan, I want to thank you too for, you know, having me as a guest for sure. I think you're doing a great, you know, great thing here and, um, you know, really, really do appreciate what you're doing. And uh, thanks again for having uh, me for anyone that's listening. You know, I hope you guys check out our website, bowhunting.com. Uh, please check out our web show as well. Uh, Bowhunter die. You can pretty much find that anywhere. Roku, iTunes, YouTube, and, uh, Dan, thanks so much. I, I, I really do appreciate it. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Todd Graff for taking time to come on this podcast and BS with us for a second. I really appreciate that. Huge shout out to each and every one of you listeners for downloading this podcast and listening to it. Huge shout out to the partners of this podcast, Exodus Outdoor Gear. Um, I have a secret I want to tell about their cameras so bad, but they, they told me don't do it. And I'm like... I want to gossip like a high school girl, but I can't. Anyway, huge shout out to Exodus. Huge shout out to Deer Lab and huge shout out to Ripcord. Go give those uh, products a look over on their website. Thank you very much for tuning in. And if you're in the timber, up in a tree. Well, you safely, honey.